Well, good morning again. Thanks to our worship team, communications team, greeters, all of those that the ushers that there's a lot that happens to make Sunday morning this place, and we're just so grateful. I also wanted to give you an update on the Dwell app. Pastor Bobby texted me this morning early, and as of early this morning, those of us in this fellowship have spent 148,167 minutes in the Bible and counting. Isn't that amazing? About 2,400, almost 2,500 hours. And I know there are those in here uh, that are using different apps. And I just want to encourage you in the Lord. Not as something we check the box for or we're getting brownie points. We're going to learn today that there are no brownie points. (laughs) But as an encouragement for what the Word says it will do in your life. Brings about change. It's God-breathed. Supernatural. So I encourage you to continue. And we're continuing in this series that our pastor has called Entrusted. I love that. I want to call your attention to some verses today where that particular word is used. It'll be on your screen. They're found in the book of 2 Timothy. This is Paul's, the Apostle Paul's last will and testament, if you will, to his beloved son in the faith. And he writes these words. He says, I'm not ashamed, for I know in whom I believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He goes on to say, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Look, Timothy was an eyewitness and a companion to this apostle. His journeys, I'm sure he read his letters. In Paul's letters, he speaks of all the doctrines that we will cover in this series. He addresses those in some form or fashion. And then this last verse is the key as far as these doctrines go. He said, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Remember, he's writing to Christians. By the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That's our prayer for you. First of all, we want to pass on what these doctrines really mean, and then our encouragement to you is to guard them. Because we have an enemy who wants to come in and steal. And certainly the gospel had been entrusted to Timothy, but other things as well as we mentioned. So my assignment today is the doctrine of humanity, the doctrine of man. This is a massive doctrine. So unless you're willing to stay with me through this evening and miss Championship Sunday, we're only going to be able to focus on a couple of facets today. We've talked about the 2022 State of Theology survey that was done by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research, and I'm going to focus on two statements that we find in that survey. And that survey reveals that Americans, evangelical Americans, churches like ours, are continuing to reject 
the inerrancy and the authority of Scripture, questioning even the divine nature of Christ, moving away from a biblical worldview and embracing a secular worldview. I don't say that to be mean-spirited. I'm grieved by that. I don't know if any of you guys, ladies, men, and women, watch ESPN. There's a segment, a show that's called PTI. It's Pardon the Interruption. Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon are talking heads, and they speak about different things that are happening in the world of sports. And one bit they do is they have a sentence like, Patrick Mahomes is blank, right, as a quarterback. And then they describe what that means. Well, I have a little bit today about the state of theology. It's in your notes, if you're a note taker. The the 2022 State of Theology survey is blank. And when I was preparing for the sermon, there was many words that came to my mind initially. Shocking, revealing, troubling, discouraging even. But as I continued to prepare for the sermon Two words came to mind, so really I should have left two blanks. (laughs) I see it this morning, beloved, as an opportunity. An opportunity. Because our prayer for you as we talk about the doctrine of man today and, and these other doctrines is that you see they become foundational in your lives. And that you can guard them as the Apostle Paul encouraged Here are the two statements from this survey that I referred to. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. What this survey, the answers, is that the preponderant majority, not only of Americans, but evangelical Americans agreed with this statement. And can I say to you today, in love, that both of these statements are categorically false. And so what we're going to do is we're going to examine these statements in light of this doctrine through the lens of Scripture today. I want to highlight a couple of principles, and along the way, we'll unpack some of the doctrine of man. Are you ready? <laughs> well, let's go. I want you to invite you to grab a copy of God's Word. I'll have some on the screen, but I'd like you to have your Bible, whether it glows in the dark or you have a paper copy, in your hands today, please, as we go through these passages. Turn in the book of Ephesians, if you would, chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. One of Paul's letters is found after the Gospel, after Acts, after Romans, after the Corinthian letter. Galatians, Ephesians. Aren't we glad for a table of contents? (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 1. And remember, Paul's writing to the church here. He's writing to Christians. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, all once lived 
in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And here's the first principle for those of you who take notes, that all mankind, all mankind, every human that's ever been born after Adam is counted guilty because of Adam's sin and under a curse. I want to encourage you this at this very moment, not because of me. Please don't tune, tune me out right here. This is a hard statement. It bothers me. Maybe it bothers you as well. But we must come to an understanding why this is true, what the point is. And by the way, your flesh will rebel against that. You have flesh. I have flesh. It will not sit well with you, this statement, right now. And that's okay. But don't tune me out, please, yet, because there's good news coming. This is called inherited sin. Some call it original sin. Some call it the depravity of man. And the Apostle Paul explains the effect of this sin in this way in Romans chapter 5. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. So what Paul is saying is that after Adam, every human born would have an inherited sin nature. And this includes you. After Adam's sin, the good things that God created. Do you remember the creation story? Several times in there it says what God created, He said, is good. Well, I want you to picture in your mind that after Adam sinned, that good was gone. The curse remained. It was devastated. It was destroyed by sin. Death entered the world. And now death, because of that sin, became the, man, the destiny of mankind and all of God's creation. After Adam's sin, there is no good in man's nature. We are spiritually dead. Let's take a closer look at those first three verses in Ephesians chapter 2. Because of Adam's sin, inherited sin, here's the first point. Man is spiritually lifeless. He's lifeless. Look at verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were a corpse spiritually. You were lifeless. There was no breath in your spiritual body. The second thing we see is that man naturally follows the course of this world. Look at verse 2. In which you once walked, these trespasses and sins, you followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan. God has allowed him to rule this cosmos. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of 
disobedience. As I was looking at this verse, I thought of examples throughout history of man's inhumanity to man. One of the first examples I can think of, and there are many others, is the Holocaust. Can you imagine the desire to exterminate a race of people because of their ethnicity? But it's been all throughout human history, is it not? The third thing we see is that man is captive to the passions or cravings of his sinful nature and follows its desires and thoughts. This means our passions and our cravings. You'll find it in verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of the body and the mind. Our passions and cravings are not reliable. They're not a reliable guide to tell you what pleases God. Because you are dead spiritually without Christ, you will follow the ways of the world. You will crave and desire that which does not please God. And the fourth thing is maybe the most sobering of realities is that man is by nature an object of God's wrath. Paul says it this way. He just says it. We are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We deserve. Everyone in this room deserves His judgment by our nature and by choice by what we do. So do you see how those two statements from that survey could not be true? No one is born innocent. No one is born good, basically good. Scripture teaches us that there are no good people. Jesus Himself said that when He was called good teacher, speaking metaphorically about mankind. And beloved, if the grace of Christ has not been applied to your life, you are spiritually dead. On the outside, things may be great. You may be upwardly mobile. You may be climbing the ladder to success. You may achieve all the goals and metrics that you've set for your life, but without Christ, you're dead. You cannot bring about spiritual change in your life by moving to a different neighborhood. You cannot bring about spiritual change in your life by getting an upgrade in your job. You cannot bring about spiritual change in your life by obtaining a more advanced degree. You cannot bring about spiritual change in your life by doing more good deeds. Our world and the ruler of this world emphasizes the tangible, the material. Our world says you can change the world. You can make a difference. 
It's all about you. That's what our culture teaches, doesn't it? But because this cosmos, because this world system that we live in, all of us, is ruled by our enemy, it's not the great American dream, it's the great American nightmare. It's a lie from the pits of hell. And it will destroy your life if you buy into it. So if I were to end the sermon there today. <laughs> and I, I, I talked to Pastor Bobby. I, I said, I, I, I know the doctrine of mankind is my assignment. And, I, and I'm going to get to some things about that. But I said, I can't leave it there. I just can't. Is there any hope for man? <laughs> is there good news? I thank God that the Apostle Paul, as he was carried by the winds of the Holy Spirit, didn't stop at verse 3. So I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me and join me in reading out loud, beginning in verse 4, these next three verses. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Raised us up with Him. Seated us with Him in heavenly places. Christ Jesus. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. But God! But God! But God! Rich in mercy. Great love. He had a plan. It wasn't plan B. It wasn't plan C. It was the plan A from the beginning. Before the foundations of the world was laid, God had a plan to rescue man from his sin. To save us by grace. To seat us in heavenly places. So what did the grace of God accomplish in man? Here's the principle. God makes us alive with Christ. He makes us alive. You can say that again, sister. <laughs> Why? Because He sees something good in you? Because you've done some good deeds? And by the way, I'm not diminishing those. Do those. Because you've improved yourself? Because you're wise? Because you're hip? Because you're cool? Because you're lovely? No. Oh no. Because you and I were spiritually dead before Christ. For the grace of Christ was applied to our lives. We were sinners without a hope. Why did He make us alive with Christ? Well, the first reason is because of His great love for us. <laughs> I'm going to ask you this. Have you, any, of you, any of you ever doubted that you've been loved? Can I see your hands? And if you're not raising your hand, you're lying in church today. <laughs> and that's my one-week joke that works all the time. We've all doubted that we've been loved, right? Right? 
But brothers and sisters, if you ever doubt that you're loved, and it, and it may happen again, look no further than the cross of Christ. There's never ever been an expression of love like that. And it involved wrath. God poured out His wrath on His sinless Son in the greatest love that man has ever known so that you and I might receive grace. His great love for us and His rich mercy. Aren't we grateful for mercy? And by the way, let me encourage you as a side, if someone you know in your life needs mercy, have you been shown mercy? <laughs> Show mercy. God's great mercy. I've told this story before early in my preaching ministry. This illustration, and when uh, speaking of the dire condition of man apart from Christ, and picture this with me a man in a very small boat out in the ocean. Uh, a storm begins to brew, the wind picks up, the, the sea begins to rage. The boat is swamped. When it sinks, it takes everything with it, including his life preservers, including the raft. No one knew his whereabouts. He tried to stay afloat. To keep alive, his energy begins to dissipate. He goes under, gulps some water. He struggles back to the surface. This happens a few more times. And he's about to go under for the very last time. And miraculously, a ship appears on the horizon. A gift of grace. A gift of mercy. The ship makes its way to the man, throws him a life preserver. The man hangs on to the life preserver for dear life. They haul him in, and he's saved. It's a good story. But there's a problem with that story. There's a difficulty in my story. Look at Ephesians 2.1 with me for one more time. What does this verse say? Our condition is before we're saved by grace. What's the word? We're dead in our trespasses and sins. And a little bit later in verse 4 and 5, Paul says he made us alive in Christ. When? When does he make us alive in Christ? When we were dead. Not when we're about to die. Not when we're about to perish. Not when we're in peril of perishing. It's when we were dead is when He makes us alive. So I must tell that story differently. My bones sank. I died. My body sank to the bottom of the sea. There I was. Lifeless. No breath. No pulse. I was dead at the bottom of the sea in my sin and trespasses. And I could do nothing on my own to rescue myself. But God. But God. Rich in His great mercy and love through the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ satisfied 
the wrath of God so that you and I would no longer be objects of His wrath. Beloved, I still know that the gospel is the deepest need to the greatest problem in the world. No wonder when that little baby appeared <laughs> that the angels sang. No wonder that creation rejoiced at His appearance. No wonder for those of us that have experienced the grace of Christ that our souls sing out in worship of what He's done, what the Father has done through Him. So this begs the question, why then, why, after grace, do we still sin? Well, you see, for those of us that have come alive, been made alive in Christ, we have two natures now. I have a sin nature. You have a sin nature. I also have my spirit man, which has been redeemed, which has been made alive which has been sealed by the Spirit, which is now we're seated in heavenly places. In my mind, as a follower of Christ, I have the mind of Christ. But I have those two natures. It's, it's what some theologians describe as the word antinomy. I won't spell it out for you. <laughs> but what it simply means is this, is that there are two things going on that seem totally opposite. How could they both be true in the same place, in the same space, but they are? And, and beloved, that's the walk of a Christian, is we live in that tension all the time. So we have this sin nature. We war against it every day. We must put it to death every day. We must take up our cross and deny ourselves. You see, after grace, there will be a lifetime battle between your spirit, man, and the flesh. Your flesh will be with you until the day you take your last breath. Paul describes this battle in such glorious fashion. In the book of Romans, chapter 7. I'm not going to give you the cheat screens on this one. Because I want you to grab a copy of God's Word. If it glows in the dark, if it's paper, whatever, please get it in front of you right now. Because as we read through these verses together, my prayer for you today is that they will cut between your soul and spirit, pour into you, bring about life and correction and direction and reproof. Here's what he writes. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Let me pause there for a moment. How many of you that that's been a reality in your life? Can I see your hands? Every hand should go up in here. <laughs> it's true, is it not? The Apostle Paul is saying, look, I don't. What I want to do, I don't do. He goes on to verse 17. So now, and this language is technical, bear with me. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He's speaking of his sin nature. 
He's got that nature. Verse 18, I know nothing good dwells in me. Does that settle that issue? (laughs) For those of you that think, why do bad things happen to good people? There's no good people. I should get an amen from somebody. You're not good. I'm not good. Nothing good dwells within me, in me, that is in my flesh. There's great things in Christ. Amen? We're joint heirs with Him. We're seated in heavenly places. We have His very mind. That's great. My flesh, not good. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Is that that anyone's story in here too? Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. I want to remind us this morning that when Paul wrote these words, it's late in his life. He's an old man like me. He's walked with Christ for many years. The Lord used him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He had planted multiple churches, mentored many young pastors. He's walked with Christ and seen things that are uh, unimaginable in the Lord. But he's still wrestling with this flesh every day of his life. That should be an encouragement to you, is it? Boy, sure is to me that no less a man than Paul, no less a man like him, was struggling with the very things I struggle with. But God, here's the answer to his dilemma. Verse 24, move on down the page. How about this? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Brothers and sisters, we have to learn to live in that tension. Live in that antinomy. Know that it's going to be a daily battle for you and I. But Christ is victorious. He's enough. He is enough. If the human predicament was simply a moral one, then religion would have sufficed. Listen, Paul was the most religious Jew that maybe ever lived. He described himself as to the law perfect. Can you imagine that? That includes the Ten Commandments and all that other stuff. He said, I was perfect as to that. But Paul, it didn't work for him. Paul had to lose his religion to find his salvation by grace. Maybe that's true of some of you today. Maybe there's some things you need to lose in order to understand grace truly and salvation. Paul totally rejected self-dependence. He saw man as completely depraved and dependent on God. God through Christ provided Paul with a salvation that the law could not give. If being dead in sin is the problem, then only resurrection life in Christ is the solution. If you don't understand the reality that you were spiritually dead in sin before grace, 
when your struggles with sin come, and they will, and you think there's still something good in you apart from Christ, you will constantly experience defeat. The key to living a spiritual life of abundance is learning to live in that tension and that Christ is the answer, not what you can generate. Amen? That's why this doctrine and the others are so important. They're foundational. The other ones we'll address, the ones that Bobby has already addressed, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Scripture. Next week, if the Lord's wills, He'll talk about Christ. Today, we talk about man. They're foundational. And our desire, our prayer, is to entrust them with you, with clarity. And our ask is that you guard them and walk in them. We exhort you to guard them. Why? Because these doctrines are like this Austin stone. I dug this out of our garden. Maybe Becky did. Uh, I wish I could get a bigger one, but I'm, discretion has become the better part of valor now my age. <laughs> These doctrines are stones in your foundation when the storms of life come. And it's not if those storms are coming. It's when. When Jesus concluded the Sermon on the Mount, He gave this illustration he told his listeners that if you don't follow his words, you'll be like the one who builds his house on sand. Do you remember that story? And when the storms come, you get washed away. Well, recently, in my personal life, the storm has been raging. And the interesting thing uh, about the depths of my soul is that I've been taken to the, my very foundations. And in and, and full disclosure, I have to candidly say to you, my church, is that there was some sand in my foundation. And I'm not saying all of it's been washed away, but a lot of it has. <laughs> but I thank God that the rock, the rocks are there. And the ultimate rock is Christ. The anchor holds. The anchor holds. My encouragement to you today is build your house on the rock. And it's Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Father, thank you for sending your son to be that foundation for us. Thank you for what you've done that you, Father, made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus, how can we ever thank you? We say to you today that your name is to be glorified and magnified in this place. We remember you today. We remember you. In the name of Jesus, amen.